It's February 22nd, 2020, and this is episode 13 of It Started in Hendricksville. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Good. Well, it is a uh, another special day to talk to you yet again. After we talked, um, I think this was maybe two or three weeks ago, yeah. um, you had shared a story um, about flying an airplane that really caught my attention, and um, we did that after the podcast, and so uh, I had Dad talk to you to see if you'd be interested in sharing that story for us to record, because I thought it was so interesting. So we'll do that later on toward the end of the podcast today. Um but before we get into that, uh, we've got a couple other topics. And so um, the first topic I wanted to ask you about, uh, I'm kind of fascinated by um, the depression. And, and I wasn't putting two and two together the last time we talked that you were born in 1926 and the great stock market um, crash was 1929. So you would have been around age three. And really, even though that people talk about the stock market or, or the depression happening over a three or four year period, um, in general, people, uh, some of the research I did, said that really from 1929 through basically 1941, um, things were difficult. And so that's your whole youth. And so I wanted to give you a chance to just share with us a little bit of what that was like. Um, so now I suppose the, the beginning of that in 1929, when that was all starting, you were with your grandparents still, and your mom and dad had moved to... Um, oh, that was in town. They, they were living in town at that time. So go ahead and tell us anything that you can remember about just how difficult the times were back in those days. Okay, well, I left uh, my grandma's house uh, when I was six years old and came back to live with mommy and daddy because uh, I was starting to school. And, and just to clarify, because in the last podcast, I got this all mixed up. It, um, just I should I should have known when you did that when you were six your sister Helen would have been about four uh, roughly two years younger than you yes. and you guys moved with your parents into that little shack that we've got the picture of that's right and then your sister um, uh, Wilma Wilma was married right around the time you she because she's about six years younger than you is well, that right yes okay and so this time frame you're talking about is you guys living in this Thing that's not really a house, yes. and you've got yourself and your two younger sisters with you. So, yes. okay. so yeah, well, so we ahead. moved there just simply because we had to be somewhere where we could uh, walk to the schoolhouse. Right. And that's why we moved into the little. And Daddy at that time was working as any time he could get a job when the weather was fit at the sawmill. He okay. drove a log truck and hauled the logs in, and uh, Virgil owned the sawmill, and he gave him work as much as he could, and we lived right there on the sawmill. And that way, we walked to the number one school. Yeah, and so I missed that the last time, but I wasn't sure how you were getting to school. I mean, that's not a terrible long walk, but in today's standards, that's a long walk. Yes. It, it would have taken you, what, maybe half an hour or something? Probably so. There. there was a group of kids that went. Oh, okay. Uh, there was four or five kids, and we all sort of met. Uh, we would, you know, everybody left about the same length of time, and we walked together. There were several, four or five, and uh, there were some then who lived farther away that did ride a bus, 
but the bus was not always, it didn't go always, but uh, when we could, we any of us rode the bus. But and for I assume you just part, walked up the road. Yes. Is that right? The rest of us just walked up the road to the school. Okay. Uh-huh. I went eight years to the same little one-room school. So tell me what, um, you guys are living in this just, you know, pretty basic little shelter and, um, you know, not much in the way of, I suppose you probably had a wood stove or something in there that we you did. Uh, uh, cooked on and, and kept warm with and all of that. One room. So tell me about uh, food, because you mentioned to me earlier that food was was sparse. <laughs> that, that's right. Food, we didn't have much food. Um, Daddy hunted, uh, and we that was kind of the meat that we had. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, trustee or someone from his office would come. I believe it was once every three weeks, and they would bring a box of... Uh, we didn't know what would be in the box. It would be whatever the grocers had just been able to come up with. And there were several people uh, in this area who would get these boxes, and they got the amount of food according to how many people was in the family. Okay. If there were five in the family, you got more food than someone who had three in the family. Right. Type thing, you know. And this is someone from the county going around just yes. trying basically to keep trying to keep us from starving. So, so what kinds of meals do you remember having in that time? Well, we just had whatever was available, but <laughs> it, it was. Uh, but the things that they sent us usually were pretty much the staples, mm-hmm. uh, and they would send things like flour and sugar, and it was lard then. And um, as I said, Daddy would hunt as much as he could, and, and that would be our meat, uh, rabbits in the winter and squirrel in the summer. And uh, the neighbors, a lot of times, uh, somebody like, I remember Lee Hudson in particular, uh, had a garden and he had uh, potatoes in his cellar Mm -hmm. that was starting to sprout. Uh And so he would give us a lot of those potatoes because, and other people would give us occasionally uh, maybe canned things. Or somebody uh, might have um, some extra, say they had cured bacon, uh-huh. and they might see that they were going to have enough to run them, and so they would give us a, a piece of, of bacon and uh, just whatever that somebody, you know, had a little extra. Now, did you guys have any relatives that were, um, or relatives or close friends who actually had a little bit more money during that time? Do you remember feeling like, like you guys didn't have much, but there were some people around who did have more? The only people who had much more would just be, like I told you, someone who had a garden. Okay. And, and just, see, just we didn't have a garden. Self-sufficient we didn't, people. And we didn't yeah. have a cellar or any place to put anything. Right. And so, and the people who lived on a farm would have milk and butter where we didn't have, or they might have chickens and we didn't have. So, yes, there were some who were better than so like better your, off. your Aunt Vivi and her husband, I forgot his Virgil. name. Virgil, who owned the sawmill. I assume, you probably don't really remember this, but, but, but I bet business was difficult for him, too. So I bet they didn't have a lot either. They didn't during the winter months. Now, they did. he did well during the summer. Okay. You know, because they had to do all they were going to do uh-huh. in the summer months because the log wagons couldn't get in in the winter and, okay. and haul logs out. So it out, was kind of a seasonal business. Uh-huh. And was that his primary job? That, that, just, yeah, that just was the only the job that Daddy had during the most of the Depression. That was about it. 
So when he would go hunting, do you remember, did he hunt on his parents' place, which was, you know, or just anywhere, just wherever people would let him hunt? People in that area, you could hunt anywhere. Your neighbors never fussed about it or never made any difference. You were just, daddy could go, you you know, wherever. If it was rabbit season, he could go where there was fields where the rabbits would be likely to be. If it was squirrel season, he'd go into the woods where you'd have to find squirrels, you know. Uh, but uh, people, you didn't have to get permission to go on somebody's ground. Mm-hmm. As a usual rule, it was okay. Yeah, it was just okay. All right. Um, and what about the school system during that time? Uh, I'm sure money was really... T- you, you talked earlier about when you were going to school in Bloomington, they couldn't even get enough money to pay mm-hmm. for that. Um, th- but the school system had a teacher, I assume, that was somebody that maybe was paid and and did they even did they try to serve you lunch or anything while you were there or was it you you no. you brought your own food and everybody had to bring their own food okay yeah there was no it was just a one-room school just, just everything a, just a single was big one room. room yeah eight eight uh, grades one through eight and we had a recitation bench at the front and the rest of it was where the other students sat they were supposed to be studying while this group was reciting Okay. Uh, all and a big stove in the middle of the floor, and um, a water bucket in the back. Did the community get involved with the school? You know, that's real popular today. Mm-hmm. You know, they they really you know the school system still don't have a lot of money, yeah. <laughs> and, but they have a lot more than they did back then. Um, but uh, today, they you know they, a lot of parents go in and volunteer time and stuff. Did, did people in the community get involved with the school, or was it really no. just the no. schoolmaster or whoever it, the teacher was? It was just up to the teacher. Okay. Yeah, we didn't have any any parent involvement that I'm aware of. So somehow and they had a, a wood stove or a coal stove in the in the building and so so somehow they got material to keep the stove going and yeah. all that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, we did that. Was there what was the room like inside that school building? I'm just thinking, was there a chalkboard on any of the walls yes. or uh, one one whole end of the school was a chalkboard behind the teacher's desk. Uh-huh. And her desk sat up one step up. Uh higher than the okay. rest of the floor so she keeps that was yeah place. yeah that was her desk and then the big heater the stove uh-huh. sat in the middle of the room and then the desks were alongside each up and down each side were the desks where the students would be sitting while the other students sat at a, a bench that went across in front of the teacher's desk okay. and that would be the group that would be reciting at that time and do you um so you had first grade through eighth grade there mm-hmm. Do you have any idea how many kids were in the room at any time, just a ballpark? Um, I would say probably, um, in most classes, there would not be over three to five people at the most. Okay, so each age, yes. there would be like three to five people, so then you add that up. That's right. You might have had 30 or 40 kids or something like that. In yeah, there. and that sounds like more, really. Maybe than not even that many. Yes, then, yeah. probably less than that. Um, and what did you guys do for school supplies? Like, did you have pen and paper and books and that kind of stuff? The ones who could afford to buy it did. I recall when school started, I didn't. We couldn't. I didn't have a pen. So, you, so pen. you had to supply that yourself. And, and if you didn't have it, you didn't have it. If you didn't have it, you just didn't have it. Wow. And so I was in the class with a little girl whose uh, whose dad worked. Uh, at Spencer, and she lived near the school with her uh, aunt and uncle, and so he sent money for her school, and so she would buy a goldenrod tablet 
and a couple of pencils, and then she would tear off so many pages and give to me, and then really? me use one of her pencils. Uh -huh. And uh, then when she got her lesson, she'd pass that book down to me, and I could get my lesson out of the same book. We were in the same class, That's and there was three people in that class. Wow. Yeah. And she helped you out quite a bit. She so. did help me a lot. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's really neat. Okay. Do you remember who that was? You remember who that was? Yes, Ruth Burks. She lived with John and Delly Brown. Okay. At the foot of the hill when you go up to the church building. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's amazing. I, I think that that says something about humans in general that uh, when times get difficult, how people figure it out help know? each other yeah you, sure you, you find a find a way to get through it so. sure we did um, okay well I want to change it over now to um, and I'll be curious as to when you did this but you were fortunate enough uh, because you wanted to do it to uh, take a raft down the Colorado River at one point in your life uh, so, t so tell me a little bit about why you wanted to, what even made you want to do that and and then how that all happened well now that didn't happen until after I was married to Ted yeah this was this was much Big later space. yes right. yes uh -huh. uh, well I um, I had I kept seeing reading about it uh, I love the West I always okay. had a um, there was just something about the West that mm -hmm. I liked anyway, and I read about this, and I read that you had to make the reservations for this a year ahead of time. Mm -hmm. because I think you, that's still the way it is. Uh, yeah. I know it's, it's, it's yeah. a big deal to do this. Yeah. So. And uh, so I kept mentioning this to Ted, and he each time kept saying, "No, no, no, I don't think so." He said, "That's that'll be that's a dangerous trip, and <laughs> a lot of been people been hurt on this, and you had to reserve with the people who owned the." Um, it, it was called the Sanderson Brothers River Trips. Oh, okay. okay, wow, you remember the name? Yeah, yeah. so w it, you had first to ask them what time they had available. Uh -huh. And okay, and then if they said we'll have room for you on such and such a time at such and such a time, uh, then you had to make arrangements. Of course, we had to either drive at that time. You you didn't fly; you drove. Uh -huh. So we would be driving from here out to Grand Canyon, uh -huh. and then we had to have a place to stay in Grand Canyon until we were picked up by the river trip. People. Okay, to go to go so, upstream. That's right. Okay. Uh huh. And uh, we stayed in the canyon. And then we had to get um, a man who did nothing but ferry people back and forth mm -hmm. uh, in a plane. And so we went to Grand Canyon, spent the night. The plane picked us up the next morning, took us to Moab, Utah. Really? So you didn't drive up there. You actually took an airplane up there. We that's did after we got in. Uh -huh. Yeah. But this was, that's all he did. Okay. It was not an airplane like we think How of today. Yeah. He was just. Uh, did, he give, did he take you a little tour when you went up at all? Or just no, straight, no, he straight took trip. us straight into Moab. <laughs> okay. Uh, because everybody had to attend a meeting mm -hmm. before you were allowed to go. Okay. Because they had to determine, are they actually physically fit? And uh, there were some people who were turned away. Really? Uh, yes. Do you if, remember how um, old you were when you did this? Well, uh, there was one lady who didn't get to go who was had asthma. Okay. And he said, no, we can't. We just can't be responsible. And then there was, I think, one man and maybe the second man who was overweight because you had to ride the mules out. Right. And you, you could only weigh, you had to weigh 180 or less to ride the mules out of the canyon. So that disqualified a couple of them. 
and so we had to go up to Moab and be okayed by them (laughs) before we could get on the raft at Moab. And this was you and Ted that went. And do you have any idea how old you were or what year that was roughly that you did that? Oh, no, but we had the girls then, so uh, so I would have been 35, probably. Okay, all right, mm-hmm. all right. So, all right, all right, I got you, okay? So then tell us about the trip. So so once you got approved and everything like that in Moab, then uh-huh. how, how many days were you on the river? Well, there were five days okay. altogether. And um, uh, early one morning we went to, a school bus took us uh, down to the river banks, where they would put in the river, mm-hmm. and uh, they put in uh, according to the time that the um, big um, dam and so forth was going to be uh, putting their water in because this this river served uh, the water for California right, and all course. around. Right. Okay, and there are times when they were calling for more electricity, uh-huh. they would put in more water. Then that told these people, okay, what's the river level going to be when we put in? Because we have rapids, and we need to know: uh, are they going to be such that we can't, we can't, uh, we can't do that while they're that high? So they had the time. Yeah, so that's what we had to do. So we were at the river bank, and the the the, uh, rafts were ready and everything. But then the man from natural resources had to come and okay all of our uh, life jackets okay. and also uh, the timing of the uh, rapids and so forth before we put in at all. And do you remember how big the rafts were or how many people were in uh, them? Twelve people. Okay, so pretty big raft. On a raft, uh-huh. Okay, all right. Uh-huh. And, and you also, um, well, no, just tell me more about what happened. Because, I mean, you're on the river for five days, so you had to have some supplies with you and things like that. Oh, yeah. So. That that was their responsibility. Mm-hmm. That was a part of, that you paid for. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to take care of the food, and they had it in what they called uh, black boxes that were covered with rubber neoprene, mm-hmm. uh, and that made them waterproof. And um, we... Um, the men from Natural Resources did not let us out when they really meant to because there was a holdup somewhere, which meant that the rapids were actually uh, more severe and deeper and, and a little more dangerous than they would have been if we could have put in a little sooner, about an hour earlier, which okay. we didn't get to do. And uh, so in our first rapids, uh, the the raft instead of going forward and and rolling with the water uh-huh. it got switched crossways oh and it was so it, it was the water was so swift that the man running it the two men actually could not get it straightened back up so we went through it like this which broke loose uh, it's tied together by um like um what's the cords the bungee cords uh-huh. uh, there was a and big oval which was actually uh, used in the service for the men when they ditched and got out. And, and then along each side they had what they called a sausage, mm-hmm. which was a big round one, okay. And those were were all tied together with these neoprene, okay. And uh, when we went over it like this, it broke one loose. And it uh, there was a, a little lady doctor in there and she had braced her foot against the outside. When that broke loose, it brought her knee back and tore the ligament loose in her knee. Uh, 
And then and this was like the, first day? Yeah, first day oh, out. Oh, no. And then the other side, it, it gave us a big crack between it, and a girl slid and was hanging in the crack, but her life jacket would not go through, so that kept her topside up. Oh, so when, when we got through so into you guys calmer... You excitement right away. <laughs> we got through into calmer water. Uh, one man was saying... Uh, I'd, I'd like to go back. I, I, and he said, there is no going back. There's no way for you to be picked up. Uh, except, he said, we'll be on, uh, in a, one more day, at one full day out, we'll be on a sandbar that's big enough for a helicopter to get in if we actually have a, 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 an emergency. Uh-huh. Otherwise, they don't stop. And he said, there's no radio, no way for us to call out except our signal goes straight up. And we have asked aircraft that was passing over to listen for this signal. And it could be picked up by an aircraft and then uh, sent out to them. And that's the only uh, that's that's the only connection you'll have to the outside world till we get. All right. So tell me more about just some of the exciting things you did as you went down the river or anything that kind of stands out to you. Well. They're, they're actually they're, uh, the main thing, it, it was the rapids. Uh-huh. And uh, a, a, after you had gone through the rapids, everybody, of course, was soaking wet and we were getting our stuff back together because uh, sometimes, you know, stuff got jostled around and right. you were hanging on to stuff. And we lost one of those black boxes that had food in it when we had the accident back up. And, but we had other boxes of food, so we were okay yeah. because we went into a sand yeah, can you turn it off for a minute? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. All right, we took a brief pause there to move some cars. We're back to it. So you were telling us about um, uh, the rapids and coming out of the rapids and all of that. Um, then I suppose beyond the rapids and seeing all the rock formations and all the neat stuff you got to see, um, anything else to share about the, the river trip part yeah. of it? Well, the walls were straight up on each side, way up. You know, because the canyon, okay. the water is way down here, and there's a solid stone wall. Uh, there's nothing to see except just the water ahead of you and the stone walls on the outside. And uh, they instructed us that when there is a problem, and if we, if the raft should overturn or whatever, you have a life jacket that will keep you, will keep your head up. So all we ask you to do is keep your hands and feet in front of you okay. and push yourself off the rocks and get into calmer water and we'll pick you up. That's that's the that's just all we can tell you. What did you do at night? Did they have something we, for you to sleep on? We or? slept on the sandbar uh-huh. and, and uh, you had you could do like a bedroll and roll down on the sandbar or some people had some little folding cots. Uh, you could choose whichever one you wanted. Okay. Uh, that's that's what where we slept. And, and on the food side of things, was it they good? did a good job. It was good. Job good, for it the was food. good huh? Yeah, the two boys did the cooking, and they built up a fire because that's all we had to do. Right. And we'd stop, you know, at sundown, and uh, they build up a fire, and then we'd sit around the fire, and they told all kinds of scary tales, you know, about <laughs> some mountain man that he, now we might see, but he, he usually whatever and whatever, you know. <laughs> Of course, we were all big-eyed looking for this guy. <laughs> so then you finally got down um, to the Grand, what we think of as the Grand Canyon. The floor which is of the Grand Canyon. Right, that, where the village is, and that's where, you're, that's where you had flown in, and you were coming back to that. Yes, and, Bright um, Angel Lodge. So, oh, yeah, you're Bright Angel, of course, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, because one of the trails is called Bright Angel. I went, I went and hiked it a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, so. same 
Um, so anyway, so they had mules waiting for you, and how was the ride out? So, so. well, uh, now we got in there one afternoon. Okay. Okay, and they were expecting us, and they had a good meal for us at the at the inn there. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, and you're uh, talking about the inn that's that's down at the bottom of the yes, Grand Canyon. Yes, yeah, yeah. Right there, now. there's a little um, kind of like a. Uh, kind of like a school area mm-hmm. uh, where you know all the girls go here and all the men go over okay. here, you know. Yeah. And the same way with you, and we slept there that night. And then the next morning, we had to get up and get out early because he said, "Now, uh, well, the night before, after we had, after we ate, well, we were each assigned to the mule that we were going to be riding out according to your size okay. and the size of the mule." And um, um, they fed us, and we. They said, "Now we will be leaving at such and such time in the morning because it's very important that we get through a place called uh, chimney, called furnace, something furnace." Uh-huh. And he said, "If we don't get through that before the sun comes up, he said the heat will be unbearable. Okay. So we've got to get through that before. While this is shaded by this peak yep. right up here, mm-hmm. okay, then we're we can we can keep going for the rest." And so. Uh, everybody was kind of given a little information about the mule that you'll ride, and we have a drover up front, and he will, you know, keep looking back. And there were, um, I think there were 12 mules. Okay. And, and anyway, um, so we got out the next morning, and we started up the, uh, where we were supposed to go, a path, the drover in front, and, um, the little lady that I told you got her knee hurt, a little mm-hmm. lady doctor. Oh, I was going to ask. So, so, she, so she stayed with you, though? The men, she stayed, yeah, she couldn't get out. Yeah. She had, okay. and she, but she couldn't walk on that leg. And so the men would make a pack saddle and carry her. She was a little gal. And so uh, to get her off, off of the uh, raft and back up on the sandbar, they made her a little seat. And uh, they carried her over there, you know, and set her down there, and we'd take her food to her. And she was sweet as she could be and very cooperative. And being a doctor, she knew exactly what she needed, you know, uh-huh. and so forth. So anyway, um, uh, she could not sit on her horse and put her feet in the stirrup okay. because it bent her knee. So she sat with this leg straight out, one knee in the stirrup and one knee straight out. And uh, she was on the horse in front of me. Ted was on the one behind me, uh-huh. and then other people, a few in front, a few behind. But she was riding like that, and I could see her saddle beginning to twist a little bit on her horse because the weight wasn't yeah, evenly it was, distributed. Makes sense. Uh-huh. Okay, and uh, when you when we rode along the trails that we rode along those sides, you, it, it, you ride this way, and then you turn and go this way, yeah. and this way, and those this way. switchbacks, they just oh, okay. go back and yes, forth, yes. back and forth, going up that Okay, and hill, so, so. Uh, when you're looking down there, it's just blue. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is nothing, and it just goes on and on and on, and it's just barely wide enough for that mule. So anyway, uh, I could see this was slipping a little, and pretty soon I, it, it began, and she, she yelled, I need help, I need help. The drover had already made the turn up here, mm-hmm. and he could look back, and he, so real quick, like he said, everybody hold it, everybody stop, stop, stop. Because, and he said, loose your reins, because she was hanging on to the rein, and he said, your mule will back up, and then he'll back somebody off. Because you know these guys can't back backwards and know right. uh, the mule will fall over the side oh, okay. with his rider on it, and so everybody stopped, 
and the drover got jumped off his, came running down there. In the meantime, Ted had gotten off his and had just barely, barely worked his way along, and he was holding this lady to keep her from falling on out of her saddle. And so he and the drover loose things and fixed it and got her back in it and, and got her so that she could get the way, rest of the way to the top. But we, we could have lost her because he said you're in more danger riding the mules out than you were coming down the river. Oh, because he said if you ever go over the side, you, you don't have much of a chance. But in the water, you've got a lot of chances. Okay. You know, yeah, you're still floating. Yeah, you can sense, be picked yeah. up. You can push yourself off the rocks. Yeah. But he said, not, not here. And so, anyway, um, that that was the one thing that we had. The other thing was, uh, two men were working. There had been a rain, and they were working. Uh, there was a little washout right where we had to. The mules had to walk uh -huh. along, and they sort of turned and went like this. And they were filling that in with rock because they didn't want it to wash out any deeper and so forth. So as we came by. This mule of mine had been, he, he was real lazy. He would just kind of slow down a little bit. And I'd, you know, hit him on the neck and, and go, come on, come on, you know. And he'd get up and he'd go a little better. And then pretty soon he'd lean back again. And I said to the drawer, I said, is he not well? He, he wants to, he, he's leaning back. He said, he's well. He doesn't care if you have to walk out. He said, there's nothing wrong with him. When I take his... When I take his stuff off up at the top, he said he'll kick his heels up and take off it. He loves it. He's just doing that because he knows he can get by with it. So he said, take this little switch and give him a little right on the neck. So anyway, as we came by where these men were working, they did stood like this up against the wall so that we could uh -huh. do this. And just as the mule got right even with their faces and his the mule's back end would be just about level with their faces. Uh -huh. He just tore off the biggest poop. And I said, oh, I said, I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And one of those guys said, lady, you're squeezing that mule too tight. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. And I said to that drover, I said, you know, I didn't do anything different. And he said, that's that mule for you. He said, he's a stinker. He, he, that's what he does. He loves it. Because he knows he can that's upset funny. everybody. Oh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So anyway, that took us out then to the top, and then that was kind of the end of you were on your own. Then after that, so uh, the next day we. we so had, were you glad you took the trip? Yes, I wouldn't take anything for it, even yet. I've got pictures of it, and, and uh, yeah, yeah, I really. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a real, right. because I saw the Grand Canyon from the very bottom out at the top you yeah. know you can fly over it and look down but you rarely ever down here looking up you know yeah in fact that's when i got to go down and see it go down to the bottom I, i've told a lot of people i've said if all you ever get to do is stand on the ledge and look in you've not really seen the green uh -uh. it's no. a whole different world it is down in the bottom it so, is yeah. and those the rapids would be roaring so loud that we could hear them way back before we got there. Oh, wow. And we knew what we were in for. <laughs> and you better buckle down. And, and, and sometimes it, that, that muddy water, it was very muddy. Yeah, And muddy, sometimes yeah. it would hit you in the face, such a, a big, uh, heavy, thick mud bunch of it, that it, it, you almost smother for a minute. It, I mean, oh, it was wow. just really, oh, it was, and your hair, eyebrows, and everything, when that dried, stiff as a poker, <laughs> everybody. And we took our clothes off that we had worn all day, laid them on a rock to dry, and in that black bag, everybody was allowed one outfit. Mm -hmm. And so you put that outfit on and sleep in it, 
and then get these off the rock, fold them up and get them ready, and then you travel and this is what you slept in, and then that that's what you did every night, oh, was wow. dry your days, and you could just do that in the mud and dirt just. <laughs> oh, so we got in the branch and laid down in a clear, when we got down to the floor of the uh -huh. canyon, that there was uh, the little creek that we crossed was coming through with clear water. We uh -huh. hadn't seen any clear water for a long time. So we just got in there and laid down. Just I just laid down, let that water run over me. I was just so tickled to get, that's you know, so more, oh, yeah. <laughs> it, oh, it was, great. it was quite a, it was quite an experience. It was probably, and it lasted, of course, a lot longer than my airplane experience. Uh -huh. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was all planned. I mean, we knew exactly what oh, to yeah. expect. And these guys had done this many, many, many times oh, yeah. before. But with the airplane trip, that was all no plan. <laughs> yeah, so, so let's, let's go ahead and wrap up then today. And uh, um, don't, don't rush through it because I want to hear all the details. You had shared with us uh, just really, I'd say just crazy, um, uh, airplane experience that you had one time. Uh, were you delivering a plane? or I, I couldn't remember what, why, you were, why you were flying the plane or, or even what, what airport you were coming out of. So, well, so just tell us the whole story. Okay. So. But not now. Is that yeah, right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, um, it, Ted had gotten out of the service, had come down to Bloomington, and was manager of the field here, and we had a flying service. And we had seven small trainer planes, okay. two bigger planes. We and had the smaller uh, ones were, were the they small all ones were the small ones were the Cub trainers. Okay. Okay. Uh -huh. And the uh, two bigger ones was a PT nineteen and a Stearman. Okay. And uh, so uh, Ted's plane, the one that if he wanted to fly for fun, uh -huh. he'd instructed for so many years and he was so tired of that. When he got a chance to fly for fun, he always wanted to fly that Stearman. That okay. was his thing. And uh, we had to take, we, were, we had a government program at that mm -hmm. time for the guys who got out of the service. Yep. Uh, we had that program. And therefore, they required every 100 hours they had to be taken in and cert recertified okay. uh, by an A&E mechanic, which we did not have on our field. Okay. And we had to take them to Indianapolis to have that done. Uh -huh. And we took them to Hoosier Airport, which is a fairly small airport on the other side of, at that time, it was Weir Cook. But it's in the northeast corner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know where we're, we're Cook. Yeah, I mean, I know, know that area. Yeah. Uh, well, see, we're Cook is now the big airport. Oh, oh okay. I know why I'm getting confused. And that, right. It's I've just been you. renamed. Oh, okay. Uh, but, yeah. but we went to Hoosier Airport. Okay. And uh, there's where the mechanic did our work. Okay. And when he had finished with one of our planes and recertified and signed and got it all ready, uh, that took two or three days. He would call us, say, your plane is ready. We would go up two of us in one plane, and then one of us each would bring a plane back. But, okay. And so Ted and I had gone up in the Stearman, because mm -hmm. that was Ted's thing. And uh, I was going to bring back the plane that had been worked on, and mm -hmm. he was, he'd come back in the Stearman. And when uh, we talked, we knew the man, and we talked to him a little bit, and uh, we got, I got ready to leave, and Ted said, uh, the mechanic had told me uh, I put some new parts in that of that motor of the one that you're going to be taking back. So I don't want you to rev it up more than 1700 RPMs because there's new parts in it mm -hmm. and give it a chance to get broken in. He said, now it's okay on takeoff for a short length of time, but as soon as you get your, uh, your flying altitude, then cut back to about 1700. Okay. And, and okay. And so Ted said, well, since you're going to have to be flying a little slower, won't you go on and I'll catch you probably before you get to Bloomington. Oh, so that's why you left a earlier than him. Okay. okay. 
So when the guys got my plane out and, and were getting it and making sure it had the fuel and so forth, uh, someone said, it looks a little hazy down toward Bloomington. And uh, somebody else said, yeah, it does a little bit. And uh, we went on and, and Ted said, I think I'll call down to the Weather Bureau in Indianapolis and make sure that the weather's okay between, because that does look a little dark back there. And so he called down there and they said, oh, well, it, it's overcast, but uh, it's broken and it's okay to Bloomington, there won't be any problem. And so Ted said, okay, you go ahead and get going. I took off and I got about to Mooresville and all of a sudden it began to get hazier and hazier and of course see with this you have no no instrumentation other than just you know you have your very very basic things but right. yeah okay and um, I, I thought okay I think I'm getting this looks like it's it's getting worse instead of better and I remembered that the one thing Ted had said he said don't ever fly into a cloud that you don't know what's there always turn around and go back okay. he said don't ever fly into it because if if you can't see the ground then you're lost because that's what you have that's all you've got to go by right. gotcha. okay and so i thought okay i've been told so I, right now i'm going to 180 degrees and i'm going to go back and i had to remember that if i flew a straight line back from where I was at that point, I would be in the airspace of the big airport. And I didn't dare do that because see, those guys were flying on instrument right. and it didn't make them that, they're, they're still flying. Uh, so I thought I have to stay out of there. So I had to go west, veer off of my course to get away from, make sure I cleared them, and then come back east to get back to the little airport where I was looking for. Okay. And then when I went east, or when I went west, um, I, I was going south, and the storm was coming from the south. But when I went west, I knew that the storm was going to do this for me. It was going to to take me off my course because yep. I had no, I couldn't keep from it. Right. And so I, I, I couldn't allow for it because I didn't have anything below me to show me sure. uh -huh. my angle of drift. Nothing. Yeah. Just just guessing. Well, anyway, I did this. And then when I got on the other side, I thought, I know I'm clear of the big airport. And now then I'm going to start to lose a little altitude and see if I can pick up anything that I can recognize because I'm lost. I have no idea where I am at this point. And so I kept going a little bit more, a little bit more. And was it raining yet at that oh, point? Oh, pouring the rain, just pouring the rain. Because I, I lost some time, see, uh, I had a tailwind uh -huh. as long as I was doing this. But when I started to get away from the big airport, I had a crosswind. And then it could pick up speed because my tailwind, uh, my forward speed slowed down and, and theirs continued. Okay. And did your aircraft have a windshield wiper or anything? No, or? no, 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 you don't have that on an aircraft. So how no, were you seeing? No, indeed. So. Well, actually, I rolled my glass down a little bit. Uh, I had a glass on my side. Is that your side and, window? Yeah, yeah, but there there was nothing to see anyway. Uh, you know, the only yeah. thing I had was my compass. And uh, so anyway, I, I thought... Uh, I, I'll just try to recognize anything. If I can see a little town or anything and let me know where I am. The first thing I saw when I began to pick out things was a big tree and I could see the wind giving it this, you know, really whipping it. And so 
I thought, you know, there was a big tree at the end of the runway. I remember thinking about that. And sure enough, that might be the big tree. And so I led down a little more and a little more, and I could begin to make out the roofs on the, uh, on the, uh, at the airport. Okay, yeah, the hangars. On the hangars. Yeah, uh-huh. And I thought, that's the airport. That is it. How lucky can I be? I was going to say, that is unbelievable so that then my, that. Then my next problem was, okay, uh, is getting this thing on the ground in a wind like this, because I remember that's real tricky. And uh, so I thought, okay, I, I remembered what Ted had told me. And Ted was one of the best, uh, I'd say out of a, of a hundred instructors, Ted would have been among the top 10 uh -huh. for an instructor. Cause he was an instructor every minute he was in that plane and you were with him. Uh -huh. I guarantee you, you better keep your eyes open. He's gonna ask you or he's gonna do something, you know, because he, 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 he did not instruct just because, when everything was nice and uh -huh. no. He, he, he was always looking for the things that might happen, and you better know what you're going to do if it should happen. Okay. And he said, one of the hardest things I have to teach my, my students is anticipation, because he said, after it happens, it's too late. So I want you to be able to anticipate, what if this, and what if this, and what do you do if this, when things are not right. Yeah. Okay, so he had told me that whenever you're uh, coming in for an, a landing and it's, you've got a strong wind, don't close down and, and try to make a three-point landing because the wind, it changes the, the pressure of the wind on your wings and it'll, it'll do this with you. Okay, so, you, so, have so no you would normally do, this is a, the piper's a tail dragger. And that's right. So you would actually let the tail come down. That's right, that's what and, you're and, heading. And land at a fairly slow speed, I assume. That's, that's right, you, you want to just get it as slow as you can. But and he just, said don't do that. So. Yeah, he said no. Power on, always keep power on. And he said, if you see you're gonna run out, of course you're gonna use up your runway a lot quicker cause you're traveling faster, but you still gotta have that power cause you're gonna be on your back if you don't. Okay, keep that power on. And then as soon, if you see you're gonna run out of out of uh, space or, or run out of the, uh, you can't take off again and you don't have to run through a fence or hit a tree, you ground loop it. Because he said, you're already on the ground, and the most you can do is tear that airplane up, but you're going to be, you're going to come out the best out of a ground loop. And what's a ground loop? A ground loop is if I were traveling straight forward mm -hmm. like this, and I, I hit my rudder and my brake at the same time. Mm -hmm. The rudder get, makes it do this, mm -hmm. and the brake holds it and makes mm -hmm. it turn, okay? And so you do a half circle real quick and don't move forward. Ah, okay, spin it basically. That's right, just yeah. spin it. And that way he said, you know, it'll, the airplane will do this and you may, get a, you may get a wing tip, you may get a prop tip, but at least you're on the ground. Oh, wow. And, okay. and that's your best bet. So you, you, and so so you were I, coming in hot. So. <laughs> I was coming in and as quick as I thought I could, I began to back off on power because it looked like I was going to be all right on my, mm -hmm. uh, I had a little Was this a grass runway, runway. you were landing on or a uh, No, cut? it was a surface. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't remember what surface, but it, was, it wasn't grass. But anyway, uh, so I, I, I did my brakes first and that slowed me down some. I got slow enough, the brakes held, I wasn't even sure they would because those tires are slick, they're not Mm -hmm. They don't have tread, and but it did, and uh, so then I got slow enough that I could turn myself, and when I could turn the the hangers right here, and I'm wanting to turn to go into the hangar, and I the first thing I saw was a pickup truck or a black car coming toward me, and so 
uh, I was practically stopped right here. Two men jumped out, and each one grabbed a strut on each side and hung on like this uh -huh. and motioned, keep going. And so I, real slow, I, I taxied in with a guy hanging on each wing to keep it from catching me and, and flipping me on my back. And did they have a hanger for you to get inside of Yeah, them? yeah, yeah. They, they took it right in the hanger as quick as I pulled up and shut her down. They, they were ready to grab it. <laughs> so, so, so what did Ted have to say when he finally got to see you? Well, he couldn't believe it. They, they all just stood there. This, this one man uh, who owned the airport and had thousands of hours of flying time. He was an old instructor. And he took his hat off and it was sopping wet, you know, and he threw it down like that and he stomped on it. And he said, glad that was you up there instead of me. And I said, well, it, I, I didn't have that kind of skills. I, I had not had that much time. But the one thing that I did do, and I, I'll take credit for it, I remembered what I'd been told. Yeah, what, what Ted and, and if I had if I had gotten scared and couldn't think clearly, then I, I would have been lost. Oh, yeah. Any, if I'd have done any one of those things okay. wrong, it could have been the end of me. But every one, I remembered exactly and did just exactly what Ted had told me. I said, okay, this is what he said. What good fortune. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, so, anyway, we... We uh, got that thing back in the hangar, tied it down, and the guy said, well, you know, two of us went out in a plane once looking for you. Ted said, she's down. I know she's made a forced landing, and I know about where she'd be because I know the path she would have taken. And uh, he said, we weren't up there very long, and he said, hey, let's get out of here. This is, we don't, it's too, 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 too dangerous. Oh, my goodness. Let's I didn't get realize back. they had gone so, out looking for you already. Already, yeah, yeah. before I landed. And uh, they were still hunting for me, and he said, see, she couldn't see us, and we can't see her. And I know if she's still up, that she's in this area. If not, she's on the ground, and we can't do anything about it till the storm passes. So they gone down. They waited for the storm to pass. And he said, while we stood there, somebody said, "Do I hear an airplane?" And somebody said, uh, "It was just pouring the rain. Wind was." We called downtown, and they said forty mile an hour gusts is what it was, oh, wow. for that little job. And anyway, uh, he they said. Uh, that can't be surely that's not her and ted said it is that's that that i'm sure that's that cub they listened a little bit and he said man i hope she finds the airport i hope she can see us you know they were and they didn't have any flags to wave or it wouldn't have done any right. good i couldn't see yeah. but we anyway anyways, he yeah. said here she comes puttering right in around the corner and he, these guys were clapping their hands stomping their feet and carrying on but he oh. said then they ran out in that truck because we thought for sure that you'd be rolled up in a ball, or uh, or it, it would flip you on your back, one or the other, because we had we just would have bet money that there's no way you're gonna get that down. But we'd be right there. That's what they were there. Uh -huh. they, they'd come out to pick me oh, up. What a great story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, we're at uh, the end here, so I really, really appreciate you sharing that story. Uh, that's just something else, and uh, I'm glad to be able to hear that. And. Uh, I don't know if all of your family's been able to hear that story, but hopefully they'll be able to listen to this recording and hear that. So um, I appreciate that. And again, if you think of anything else you want to share, um, let me know. I'll be glad to come by anytime. But uh, that'll be it for today. So uh, have a great afternoon. Thank you very much. You too. Oh, I did mean to put something on there. I was going to say thanks to Russell Ryle, my friend Russell Ryle, who helped me um, get my... Uh, We're still recording. Just, you can just tell it. <laughs> can, can you add? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, now? Mm -hmm. Well, thanks to my friend Russell Ryle, who helped me um, to uh, figure out the 
exact position of the Bloomington Airport to the um, big airport in Indianapolis, then to the smaller airport, because I was not sure uh, whether the Bloomington Airport would be almost due south of the big airport, or I was a little bit southwest of the big airport, mm -hmm. and Russ had all this information. He is a wealth of information so, about airplanes. So he had given you that information, you're saying, in, in reference to the, the flight you had. That's right. That, that difficult flight. He had given you some information? or, or, or I'm, I got that information from him this morning when I wanted to know. Oh, oh okay. Uh, yeah. so, so you just got that today? Yeah, that's right. Just, okay. Because yeah. oh. I was not sure, and I couldn't remember that long back, uh, you know, exactly where uh, the mileage and the exact... Uh, distance that it might be from oh, Bloomington okay. to right, Weircook to from Weircook on up to okay, yeah. Bloomington. Oh yeah, yeah. I want to look that up, see where that's at. So well, all right. Well, Russ, great. We're great. Well, have a great day. Okay.